Hello, hola, and konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Freeland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the curtain jerkers. Of course, I'm talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This weekend is UFC Live from Las Vegas, Robert Whitaker versus Calvin Gastelum. And an exciting middleweight made event that might just have title shot implications in it. But of course, those of you who frequent the show know we won't be breaking down that fight or any other of the fights on the main card. Because this is the prelim primer where we break down just the preliminary portion of the card. Now, for those of you who might be new to the show, you might be asking, why not talk about Robert Whitaker or Calvin Gastelum or some of the other big names that are on the main card? You know, we got... Jeremy Stevens and Drakkar Klosa, you know, Violent Bob Ross is fighting on the main card. The thing is, you know about those guys, and you probably don't know a lot about these people on the prelims. And really, that's where the money is to be won when you're playing daily fantasy sports or, you know, even when you're just gambling or, hey, maybe you just want to win a pick'em contest. And speaking of pick'em contests, I'd be remiss if I did not mention that this show is brought to you by Fanatics MMA, the most comprehensive MMA pick app that exists on the planet they've got fighter bios records odds all right in the palm of your hand while you guys make picks plus let me tell you something i absolutely love the scoring system the scoring system is the best feature of the whole app because it uses odds to show how good you're doing that's right no longer is somebody just going to pick all the chalky favorites and win your pick'em contest instead it goes by the vegas odds and it basically gives you how you would be doing against the vegas house giving you like a fight iq score which is way better than win loss percentage because Let's face it, all picks aren't created equal. So I highly encourage you to download the app, which you can do in the show notes or in the Top Turtle MMA Twitter or Instagram bios. So make sure to check out those links there. And now, of course, I've got to have a co-host to break down these fights with me. Joining me today from the Fix Fights podcast with Kurt and Ben, Benjamin DeBrigo. Benjamin, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. All right, and as you guys know, we start each and every round by putting five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Tracy Cortez versus Justine Kish. So Cortez 2-0 in the UFC. She beat Vanessa Nello and Stephanie Egger, both by decision, with the last one coming in October. Of course, that was up at Bantamweight. She's now moving down to flyweight to meet Justine Kish, who's 1-3 in her last four. She last got beat by Sabino Mazo by rear naked choke. That was back in September. So... It seems like a mild step up in competition for Cortez here, obviously down a weight class in addition to that. What do you think of her moving back to flyweight and her prospects in this division? I think it makes a lot of sense for her. I got to see her fight at flyweight um, in Invicta, and I think that's more or less her natural weight class. Maybe she was cutting a little bit less weight at bantamweight or just felt healthier at bantamweight or she didn't want to do that early on in her career, but I really think moving down to flyweight is probably where she sticks around for quite a while here. Um, and, you know, not to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but we've seen Kish kind of outmuscled against uh, straw weights before. So I don't, I think this is a good move for crazy for Tracy Cortez and it's, it makes it an even harder fight for Justine Kish. Yeah, I, I agree with you entirely there too. And I, I think for the long lasting portion of her career, right? Like I just can't imagine somebody who looks like she does and has her size up against people like, you know, Macy Chason or Ketwin Vieta who are like enormous Bantamweight. Yeah. So I, I do think it is the right move for her, especially cause like you said, that style of hers is she, she does muscle people around and toss people around a little bit. She does, you know, bully people in the clinch and, yeah, I think that's where she's got a huge advantage on Kish here. If Kish were to have success, what does she got to do in this fight? It's it's going to be tough. I think maybe she could 
surprise Cortez with, you know, maybe some some tricky submission attempts, even though her grappling doesn't look particularly good. When I was looking, when I was doing tape study for this, all I wrote down for Justine Kish was scrappy. Um, and I think that's kind of her best path to victory is putting a pace on somebody and, and trying to win positions. I think the big issue here is that Tracy Cortez is scrappier, if that makes any sense. I think uh, they're, they're kind of similar fighters, but I just trust Tracy Cortez's like athleticism a whole lot more. Yeah, I agree with that entirely, too. And, and I guess, you know, the one thing I would say is with Justine Kish being able to put a pace on somebody, her coming back to flyweight for the first time in, you know, a little while could be a cardio issue but like you said in Invicta she had no cardio issues right she looked good for the full 15 at flyweight I expect her to look good for the whole 15 here so how do you see her winning this one I like Cortez by a decision here um I think it's gonna be a pretty clear-cut decision I you know see her winning basically all three wow all three rounds excuse me just out muscling Justine Kish in every position Absolutely. I agree with you entirely. I'm going to take Cortez by decision as well. And speaking of muscles, let's talk about Alexander Romanov versus Juan Espino. So both of these guys, 2-0 in the UFC, both with two straight submissions. So Romanov came is coming off that weird forearm choke back in November where he put his opponent out cold with something I've never seen before, not in the UFC at least. And, and Espino is coming off of a, a really long layoff, but then looking really good in September. So this is by far my favorite fight on this card, possibly one of my more favorite fights on the year, just because we're seeing big, heavy dudes grappling. What do you think of where this is going to take place? And if it does happen on the mat, who's got the advantage there? I think this happens on the mat, first and foremost. I don't think it's going to be one of those where both guys kind of are afraid of each other's grappling, so they keep it on the feet. And I think I favor Romanov pretty heavily to be the guy who's on top and dictating pace, landing ground strikes, and maybe even getting a submission here. Um, I was kind of surprised that uh, Romanov was not a much larger favorite, to be totally honest. He is a way, way, way better wrestler, um, and I'm certainly not convinced Espino can be the man on top. Maybe Espino has a little bit craftier maybe traditional jujitsu. I don't even want to call it that. They're both kind of European style <laughs> submission grapplers. Um, you know, maybe Espino has some sweeps, but I really don't see that happening against um, Alexander Romanov. And with that said, like with Romanov having in my mind, a pretty massive wrestling advantage, he's going to be the guy on top. I see him eventually getting hopefully another weird submission, like a scarf hold, like Espino had uh, another forearm choke, no Ezekiel, all that stuff. I love it. Yeah, I love this matchup, and I agree with you entirely. I think the problem here for Espino is, is just he's a much better grappler than everybody in this division, almost. You know, he's not better than Alexi Olenek, and but, like, pick an unranked heavyweight, and he'd probably school him on the ground, with the exception of Alexander Romanov. This is the worst possible matchup for him because he's just not going to find himself in any great positions. He's not going to find himself with the ability to, you know, he's not going to sub him off his back. You're not going to see Juan Espino throw up a triangle choke here. So, yeah, with that being said, I expect Romanov on top the whole time. And, and even if it did wind up being a stalemate and, and it wound up being on the feet, I actually think Romanov is favored there, too. Like, I, I think his boxing's better. Um, I, I certainly don't want to see that. I, I want to see Romanov <laughs> with the sub as well. But, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take Romanov. I'm going to take him by submission. And I'm going to say he gets it probably in the second or third round because, you know, for a chubby guy, too, the dude's actually got a phenomenal gas tank. Yeah, I'm, I 100% agree. Second or third round submission here, especially because Espino, it sounds like I'm kind of crapping on him, a little, on him a little bit. I think his submission defense holds up before he gets hit a whole bunch and before he gets tired. 
For sure. And that's going to do it for the end of our first round. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with round number two. All right, guys, I mentioned to you at the top of the show that there are a whole bunch of different ways that you can download the Fanatics MMA app. There's a link in our show notes. If you don't got the show notes nearby, that's cool. Hop on Twitter, at TopTurtleMMA. You can see in our bio, there's a link there as well. Or there's a link on our Instagram, at TopTurtleMMA as well. So check out any of those locations, download the app, and when you do, you're going to want to join our group, which, by the way, that link automatically gets you right into our group, where you can pick against me and some of the other co-hosts that you'll hear on this show as well as all kinds of other fans of the show so make sure to download the app chat with me on there pick against me on there and show me what i'm doing wrong and we are back with round number two i'm gonna put another five minutes on the clock and we're gonna start this round by talking about jessica penne versus lupita godinez so Penne 0-3 in her last three fights, but of course she hasn't fought since 2017. That three-fight run includes fights with Joanna Jan Jacek, uh, Weili Zhang, and then Danielle, or Jessica Andrade, rather, and then Danielle Taylor. So certainly she's fought a gauntlet of good opponents. Godinez, meanwhile, 5-0, making her debut. She last beat Vanessa Demopoulos at LFA 94 back in October. That was for the title, which she won by majority decision. Now, my question for you here is, Godinez, she's only got five pro fights. So this is obviously a, a pretty large step up in the type of competition she had. Even Demopolis had, didn't have a ton of you know experience under her belt. Is it too big of a step up at this stage for her, or is this like the right move for her? This feels like the right move for her, to be honest. Not to knock Jessica Penne, but I mean, I think the big story here coming into this is that Jessica hasn't fought since 2017, and she hasn't won since 2014. And again, like you said, like... That starts with a title fight loss to Joanna Janjacek, so no shame in that. But she's 38 years old. Um, Godinez, on the other hand, even even if Vanessa Demopoulos is not the most um, experienced fighter, that LFA title fight, even just even though it's a majority decision, that's total crap. Lupita Godinez showed that she is. 100% ready for this level of competition. Um, she is super talented on the feet, super composed, and in my mind, fights way more like a 10-0 fighter rather than a 5-0 fighter. Um, Penne, obviously, tons of skills, I think especially on the mat, but I'm not convinced that she has the physicality to bring it to the mat. I'm not convinced she has the physicality to force the clinch and beat her up in the clinch. There's just so many questions here about Jessica Penne's status. Whereas on the other hand, we just saw Lupita Godinez beat the ever-loving crap out of somebody. Yeah, and, and for, for Penne too, I will say this, is like, uh, when we, because uh, I don't want to crap on her entirely too, because she's had a tough run of it and a tough run of luck. I, I actually favored her in that Hannah Goldie fight. I, I thought she was probably going to come out on top of that one if she looked anything like the old version of herself. But I think even the old version of herself here loses to Lupita Godinez, because Godinez is one of those fighters who... She she somehow has managed to have both good distance management in like defense while also <laughs> having extremely high output, right? Like she she yeah. doesn't her her good defensive striking does not wane her output. Like we saw Arnold Allen look really good defensively this past weekend, and, and it, it takes a hit on his output a little bit, but somehow she manages to do both, and I just think that's a nightmare for Penne. Who, who we saw when, when Joanna Janjacek put a little volume on her, she wilted on the feet. So, um, and I'm not, you know, comparing Godinez to, to Joanna Janjacek, but that style of fighter is not good for Penne. So I see her winning here. I actually wouldn't be surprised with a TKO. How about you? 
I like Godinez, I think, by decision. I will say I think a big part, and I think you bring up a really good point about her being defensively sound but still a high-volume striker, is I think she hits with surprising power to a lot of strawweights, which causes them to not want to throw back, not want to exchange. I think that in and of itself, like, causes a lot of her defense to look pretty good. But, yeah, I like Godinez by, I'm going to say, decision here, just because I think Penne is super tough, and she's probably going to be fighting with a chip on her shoulder. For sure. And that brings us to our next fight, which is Gerald Mearshart versus Bartosz Fabinski. So Mearshart, one and three in his last four. He's coming off that loss to Kamzat Shemaev back in September, which obviously doesn't need to have much more said about it. <laughs> Fabinski, meanwhile, one and two in his last three. Uh, he last got armbarred by Andre Muniz back in September as well. So I, I guess my question here is that Mearshart seems kind of like a one-trick pony at this point, and I don't mean to, to put that on him, but he, he looks like he's great on the ground, both when he's on his back and when he's on top, but also he his striking looks subpar, and he, his wrestling also doesn't look real great to get it to the ground here. So my question is, is does he get it into that realm at any point in time enough to have success here against Fabinski? The thing is, he he will pull guard, um, or at least try kind of a half-hearted takedown, and then not care if he ends up on his on his butt. So I do think um, we're gonna see this fight hit the mat. Um, but I think the second part of your question, more importantly, was is he gonna be able to do that often enough uh, to make a difference here? And I think even though we just saw Fabinski get submitted, like in a in in a way that Gerald Mearshart very you know would be reasonable to look at that fight and think, oh, if Andre Muniz did that to him, I can certainly do that. The issue is I just don't trust Mearshart's durability at this point. Um, I think if Fabinski starts landing some ground strikes, of course he can get himself into trouble because, like you said, Mearshart is, in in a sense, a bit of a one-trick pony. Um, that's his one path to victory is submission. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see Fabinski beat him up on the fence, beat him up a little bit on the feet, maybe even take some risks on the mat, um, but hopefully just stay really tight knowing that that's Mearshart's one path to victory. And is that how you see this one ending? You got Fabinski here and does he get him out? I'm, I'm going to go with Fabinski second round TKO. And that's skill wise. When I was breaking down this fight, I like I'm leaning, leaning, leaning towards Mearshart. But then the more tape I watch of Fabinski and Mearshart, it's just like, well, I'm not convinced that physically Mearshart can stay in there with this guy. I think you are 100% right in your breakdown. I don't think Mearshart belongs in there physically with this guy. And I'm going to take him anyway. Because I think, <laughs> I I think Bartosz Fabinski, uh, like you said, I mean, he got submitted his last time out. Mearshart has proven me wrong more often than he proves me right. So uh, maybe he'll prove me wrong again here by throwing up a dud. But I'm going to ride with him here and say that he gets some kind of wacky submission. Maybe he locks up a guillotine on the way down or something like that. Uh, and that's going to do it for the end of our second round. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with the last three fights in our third round. All right, guys, after that last commercial break, I hope you're in my group on Fanatics MMA now. You've got the app downloaded to your phone. And I sort of alluded to it before, they've got some awesome features on there. One of my personal favorites, other than the scoring system, which I already told you, I love the scoring system, it's the chat function. You actually can chat with fans who are in the same groups as you on Fanatics MMA. And that's really cool to me because during this pandemic, you know, I, like a lot of people, stop watching fights next to my buddies who also watch fights. We now, you know, are in our separate places for a lot of the time. So this gives you the opportunity to talk to just the people you want to. Maybe Twitter's a little too loud. Maybe, you know, there's not another great place to talk about fights for you. 
Fanatics MMA can be that place. And you can set up your own group. You can chat with the people here on the TTP group. There's tons of different options. So I highly suggest downloading, if you haven't already, the Fanatics MMA app. And we are back with round number three. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this one by talking about Austin Hubbard versus late replacement Dakota Harry Bush. So Austin Hubbard, one and two in his last three. He lost to Joe Selecki by rear naked choke back in August. Uh, Dakota Bush is going to be making his debut at eight and two. He last won his last two fights, looking both very impressively in LFA. And of course, that was after uh, losing to Joel Wells. So he's two and one in his last three as well. Now, my question for you is Hubbard, he's actually got three losses in the UFC and all of them to top-notch grapplers. Joe Selecki, Davi Hamosh, Marco Madsen. It seems like that's kind of the path to victory, right? Is to be the guy who can outgrapple Austin Hubbard. Is Dakota Bush at all close to that mold? That's a good question because you actually kind of put me in a tough spot. Um, I don't think he's necessarily close to that mold of this like super, super talented grappler. Uh that said, I actually I'm I'm gonna go with the Harry Bush here for a small upset. Um, I I think physically, and again I I hate to just break it down into just athleticism here, but I wouldn't be surprised if you see Dakota Bush come out, shoot a blast double leg, try to get Austin Hubbard on his butt, but then just as the fight wears on, I like Dakota Bush's finishing ability. I like his explosivity. Um, and if there's one knock on Austin Hubbard, it's that. You know, he could be kind of tossed around there a little bit. And I think that's not just a a sign of his uh, wrestling, but more so a sign of just how can he hang with the most physical 155ers on the planet. And I think Dakota Bush, at least at this point, has kind of the athleticism to to dictate the pace of the fight here. Yeah, and I'm going to go with you, too. I, I like Dakota Bush in this fight. You know, I think... In a lot of ways, Austin Hubbard gained a lot of respect from people in that Max Roshkoff fight. Um, and, and he beat Kyle Prepolek, too, which is worth noting. But, like, both of those fights, he got beat up a little bit at the beginning, right? Prepolek kicked him so many times, he had compartment syndrome in his legs. And Roshkoff was winning that fight and chasing heel hooks and looking good until he utterly gassed himself out. I just don't see Bush doing that. So, yeah, I like Bush in this one as well. Uh, and that brings us to our next fight, which is Zara Farin versus Josie Nunez. So... Farin is 0-2 in the UFC with first-round losses to both Megan Anderson and Felicia Spencer, so not the easiest run of opponents for her. She's dropping down to Bantamweight to fight Josie Nunez, who's 7-1 making her debut and has got a pretty damn impressive run of KOs, uh, including her last one back in November. So I gotta ask, is, is the reason that this fight is being made and that Farin is getting a, another fight just because they see Josie Nunez as like an exciting prospect and they're just throwing the lamb to slaughter? I guess. <laughs> I don't know. But even even that, I I don't even have a really strong take on this fight, even, even if that is their plan. Maybe they're seeing something I'm not. And I do think Josie Nunez looks pretty, pretty damn good and from what I've seen, very aggressive. But she doesn't have a great ground game. Not that that's going to get tested here at all i think this fight happens almost entirely on the feet but you know how can you have a strong a strong take on either fighter here when we've only seen fair and rather in the ufc losing on the ground um and we've only seen josie nunez against lower level competition basically steamrolling them um with exception one fight i watched she did get taken out a bunch but then came out real aggro a third round and won so i don't have a super super strong take on this fight if anything I think people are maybe leaning with Zara Farron's um, 
experience in the UFC, but I don't think it's worth it. No, I don't think it's worth very much either. And I will say my, my take on Nunez is I did think when I watched some of her like regional stuff, you're right. Her ground game is trash. Um, and I, I don't mean to, to disparage any fighter like that, but it looked not good. And like, if you look at her opponents, we're talking like one and three, Oh, and six, one and Oh, Oh, and one, like she, she hasn't fought anybody with real experience. But she does go out and throw haymakers, and and for me, hey, I'm gonna count that as enough to beat Farron here, because I I don't I have not been impressed with what I've seen with Zara Farron, and and for her to be getting a third shot, I'm assuming it's just because she got beat by Megan Anderson and uh, Felicia Spencer, and you you can't fire somebody after those two losses, so <laughs> she's getting another chance. I think she loses this one. I think Josie Nunez throwing those haymakers has got enough to to take her out, but. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if this was like a sloppy three-round decision either. How do you see her winning? I'm going with Nunez by knock on wood TKO because I agree with you that if this gets into like the third round, it's not going to be looking so great. It's going to be feel like a heavyweight fight, I think. <laughs> so that brings us to our last fight, which I think is a pretty quick one to break down here, and that's Tony Gravely versus Anthony Burchock. Gravely won and won in the UFC. He lost to Brett Johns in his debut, followed that up by beating Geraldo De Fritas back in November. Burchock, meanwhile, is in the UFC for the second time. He was 2-2 two and two in his first run. He got invited back after a kind of a rough run in Ryzen. He was 0-1 in this one, having lost to Gustavo Lopez by rear naked choke back in November. And, and sort of the thing with Burchak is, like, he is a college wrestler. He's a guy who was D2 college wrestler. That's kind of his original base. He got away from it a little bit, but I, I think even if he goes back to it here, like, it, is this the right guy to try to wrestle up? Yeah, no, I think this is... I think if Burchak wins here, he's going to have to... Um... First, wear Gravely out, which I think is a possible possible thing to do. We've seen that happen a little bit, him slowing down later in fights. Um, but then he's, I think his best bet would be to like wrap up some sort of anaconda guillotine choke. When uh, Tony Gravely gets a little tired um, and a little reckless with his neck, but I'm kind of with you. I think style-wise, it's a really r- tough fight for him just because Tony Gravely is kind of that ultimate takedown artist grinder type of fighter. Yeah, and, and when we talk about him getting tired too, it's worth noting in that the fight, at least I'm thinking of it, it's Brett Johns. Like in, in like, yeah, he, he may be in Bellator now, but he is one of the top 15 bantamweights in the world, most likely. So like, it's worth noting that that's that's a loss to a real guy uh, in the division. Right. So I like Tony Gravely here. I think he probably out wrestles him, and I, I don't think Burchak gets it deep enough here to, to even possibly tire him out. So I, I'm going to say Gravely early submission. How about you? I like Gravely early ground and pound uh, right. TKO. All right. And that's going to do it for the end of our third round. We hope you guys learned something. You got seven fights in just a little bit over 15 minutes. I, of course, want to thank my co-host, Benjamin Abrigo. You can catch him on the Fixed Fight podcast with Kurt and Ben. You can check out their interview this week with Julius Angelikis, the number five ranked light heavyweight in Bellator right now. So make sure you head on over to their YouTube and check that out. Benjamin, thanks so much for the time, man. Thank you. Always a pleasure.